ever plan on committing murder, treason, espionage, terrorism, or drug trafficking, my advice is not to do it in Florida. That's because Florida is known for its frequent botched executions, particularly those involving Florida State Prison's electric chair, affectionately known as Old Sparky. Old Sparky is perhaps most famous for being used in the execution of Patterson, New Jersey resident Giuseppe Zangara, who attempted to murder President Franklin Roosevelt in 1933, as well as the execution of serial murderer Ted Bundy. Although these executions weren't seen as particularly inhumane, Old Sparky has critically malfunctioned during other executions. The executions of Jesse Teferro and Pedro Medina in 1990 and 1997 respectively saw the heads of both prisoners burst into flames. The 1999 execution of Alan Lee Davis was considered even more horrific as Davis bled profusely from his nose for the entirety of his execution. Davis's execution even led Florida to change their default method of capital punishment from electrocution to lethal injection. Today, the 27 U.S. states that still use capital punishment, as well as American Samoa, the federal government, and the U.S. military, all use lethal injection as their default method of capital punishment. However, many states offer additional methods that an inmate condemned to death can choose to be executed by. In Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Utah, you can be executed by firing squad. In Arizona and California, you can be executed by gas chamber. And in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Tennessee, you can still be executed by electrocution. The most recent execution by electrocution in the United States was that of Nicholas Todd Sutton in Tennessee on February 20th, 2020. Additionally, Wayne Doty, who is currently on Florida's death row, has opted to be executed by electrocution. However, capital punishment may not be around long enough to see Doty's execution. In contrast with former President Donald Trump, who resumed federal executions after a 16-year hiatus, Joe Biden is the first president in U.S. history to be vocally opposed to capital punishment. As legislation to abolish the federal death penalty is currently making its way through Congress, don't be surprised if the death penalty is soon phased out by state governments as well. Criticism of capital punishment comes in many forms. One of the most frequent revolves around the irreversibility of the death penalty. When someone is wrongfully imprisoned, they can be financially compensated, freed, and have their conviction expunged. But when someone is wrongfully executed, well, you can't really take that back. Others argue that having the death penalty isn't particularly effective at deterring people from committing murder. Of the 10 states with the highest homicide rates, seven of them, Louisiana, Missouri, Nevada, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina, utilize the death penalty. But perhaps the most common criticism is that capital punishment violates the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, which prohibits, quote, excessive bail, excessive fines, and cruel and unusual punishment. 
The Eighth Amendment has already been used many times to ban certain uses of the death penalty. The 1972 case of Furman v. Georgia declared the death penalty as a whole unconstitutional, leading to a four-year moratorium on executions that was eventually lifted after the 1976 ruling in Gregg v. Georgia. In 2002, Atkins v. Virginia held that mentally handicapped individuals could not be executed. In 2005, Roper v. Simmons held that a crime could not be punishable by death if the perpetrator was under the age of 18 when the crime was committed. The 2008 case of Kennedy v. Louisiana held that child rape, as well as any non-homicidal crimes except for crimes against the state, could not be punishable by death. And of course, the method that is actually used for the execution is a major topic of debate with regard to the cruel and unusual punishment clause. I've already talked about the frequent failure of the electric chair, but in addition to this, firing squads sometimes miss the heart, gas chambers can cause a slow choking death, and a person being hanged will sometimes be slowly strangled to death. Perhaps most damningly, Boycotts by European pharmaceutical companies have led states to turn to untested drugs for lethal injections, sometimes resulting in agonizing deaths by cardiac arrest for those being executed. In the eyes of many people, punishments like these are unequivocally cruel and unusual. But instead of just focusing on the Eighth Amendment, let's also talk about the Fifth Amendment. In addition to affirming due process of law and protecting against self-incrimination, the Fifth Amendment prohibits, quote, double jeopardy. That is, you can't be tried and punished for the same crime twice. Now you may wonder, what does this have to do with the death penalty? Well, in 1947, the death sentence of one 18-year-old was challenged on Fifth Amendment grounds. I'm going to tell you all about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 56th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom, If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you will want to know everything about how to use Anchor. On November 8, 1944, the small Louisiana town of St. Martinville was rocked by a brutal murder. Well-respected local Cajun pharmacist Andrew Thomas was found shot to death in his drugstore. The murder was quickly investigated, but very little evidence was found. Nine months later, in the faraway town of Port Arthur, Texas, evidence of a seemingly insignificant drug deal was found. Willie Francis, a black 16-year-old loitering nearby, was arrested despite not having any drug paraphernalia on him. 
No evidence that incriminated Francis in the drug deal was found, and Port Arthur police decided to drop the charges against him. However, before Francis was released from custody, it emerged that he had been employed by Andrew Thomas at the time of the murder. The police officers claimed that Francis had Thomas's wallet in his pocket when he was arrested, but no evidence of this was ever submitted in a court of law. However, the alleged evidence of the wallet was enough for officers to charge Francis with the murder of Andrew Thomas. Francis was then subjected to a lengthy interrogation, during which he did not have any contact with his parents or an attorney. At first, Francis insisted that he and Thomas had a very amicable relationship, which was factual according to Thomas's other employees. However, Francis was likely coerced by the police into falsely confessing to the murder, and he eventually signed an awkwardly worded statement acknowledging his supposed guilt, saying that the motive in the murder was a secret between him and Thomas. After the confession was signed, Francis was transferred to the town of New Iberia, Louisiana, a few miles from St. Martinville. When he was put on trial for the murder, Francis pled not guilty, stating that his confession had been coerced. Only circumstantial evidence was presented by the prosecution, as Thomas's body and the bullets found in his body had mysteriously disappeared days prior, and the gun said to be used in the murder was actually found to belong to a deputy sheriff. In spite of this, in less than 15 minutes, an all-white jury that included two of Andrew Thomas's relatives found Willie Francis guilty of murder and sentenced him to death by electrocution. Willie Francis spent the next six months in prison in New Iberia without any contact with his public defender or any knowledge of the appeals process. His death warrant was signed for May 3, 1946. On this day, the electric chair known as Gruesome Gertie, which was stored at Louisiana State Penitentiary, was transported by truck to New Iberia. Gruesome Gertie was then set up most likely improperly, by prison guard Effie Foster and an inmate from the penitentiary. Foster and the inmate had reportedly spent the entire night before drinking heavily, and they even continued drinking that morning. When his time to be executed came, Francis was strapped into the chair, and the inebriated Foster flipped the switch to administer 2,000 volts of electricity into Francis's body. When the switch was pulled, however, Francis did not immediately fall unconscious, as was expected. In a horrifying turn of events, Francis shouted out in pain as he was electrocuted. His body violently convulsed as he cried out for help, but Foster refused to halt the execution. The surge of electricity ended, and Francis went silent, but a few seconds later, he was heard gasping for air. Foster administered a second jolt of electricity, and this time, Francis was heard groaning, Take it off! Let me breathe! I'm not dying! Eventually, County Sheriff E.L. Reesweber intervened, shutting off the electric chair and moving Francis to a cot to lie down on. Reesweber would later joke, quote, That boy really got a shock when they turned the machine on. 
Louisiana Governor Jimmy Davis launched an investigation into the malfunction of the electric chair, scheduling Francis's new execution date for six days later. In the meantime, Francis's father Frederick spread the news about his son's failed execution to the local black community. As the attempted execution occurred in the middle of a church service, many black churchgoers saw Francis's survival as divine intervention. However, Frederick Francis knew that his son was not out of the woods yet. With less than a week until the new execution date, he knew it would be impossible for his poor, sharecropping family to find a lawyer who could adequately defend Willie Francis. That is, until he came up with a plan. desperate plea for help, the elder Francis tearfully approached a young, locally renowned Cajun lawyer named Bertrand de Blanc. De Blanc came from a long line of wealthy Louisiana plantation owners and Ku Klux Klan leaders. He was a personal friend of Andrew Thomas, the murder victim, and had even stated that he believed Willie Francis was guilty. However, he was also a man of conscience, and his time serving alongside black soldiers in the European theater of World War II had led him to denounce the evil of racism. After reviewing the information of Francis's trial, he was stunned by the ineptitude of the public defenders assigned to defend Francis. Against all odds, de Blanc agreed to represent Francis, telling reporters, quote, I believe that every citizen should have all of his rights, whether he is white or Negro, and I do not believe that a man should be made to go to the electric chair twice. As a constitutional purist, de Blanc believed that being forced to suffer impending death two times was a clear violation of the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. Using this argument, he was able to obtain a 30-day stay of execution for Francis from the Louisiana Supreme Court. During this time, de Blanc appeared before the Louisiana Supreme Court, where he argued to spare Francis's life. He stated that Louisiana had never imposed the death penalty on someone who was 15 years old at the time of their crime. He also invoked the Eighth Amendment, stating that it would be unimaginably cruel to lethally electrocute someone after they had previously experienced the same thing. However, the Louisiana Supreme Court ruled against Francis, stating that, since he did not die the first time, he had not actually experienced impending death. De Blanc then petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the case. The Supreme Court accepted the petition and delayed Francis's execution indefinitely, while de Blanc traveled to Washington, D.C. to plead Francis's case. This time, he also argued that the Fifth Amendment's prohibition of double jeopardy protected Francis. Under this clause, which is usually applied to prison sentences, a suspect in a crime cannot be tried or punished two times for the same crime. In de Blanc's opinion, this included sending someone to the electric chair twice. On January 13, 1947, in a 5-4 decision led by Justice Stanley Reed, the Supreme Court ruled against Willie Francis. 
The court's decision stated that, contrary to Bertrand de Blanc's argument, executing Francis would not violate double jeopardy as the initial botched execution did not constitute a punishment by death as Francis had survived. A dejected de Blanc returned to New Iberia from D.C., still determined to use every single irregularity from Francis's trial to save his life. However, after the Supreme Court tossed the case, Francis finally convinced de Blanc to throw in the towel, telling him, quote, No, Mr. Bertrand, don't go back. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go. I don't want you to do nothing. On May 9, 1947, just over one year after his first execution date, Willie Francis was executed by electrocution at Louisiana State Penitentiary. This time, the execution occurred without issue, and the 18-year-old Francis was pronounced dead within minutes at 12.10 p.m. Given the lack of evidence that incriminated him, it is exceedingly unlikely that Francis was responsible for the murder of Andrew Thomas. Although Thomas's murderer was never found, it has been speculated that the perpetrator may have been the husband of one of Thomas's many mistresses, as Thomas was known for his frequent philandering with married women. An even darker theory suggests that the killing was actually an act of self-defense committed by one of Thomas's young employees, as he was rumored to sexually assault the teenage boys who worked for him. Ultimately, Willie Francis remains the only person known to survive the electric chair in the United States. However, he is not the only person to survive an execution. In 2009, Ohio death row inmate Rommel Broom was set to be executed by lethal injection, but prison officials were unsuccessful at locating a vein to inject into. Ohio Governor Ted Strickland granted Broom a temporary reprieve of execution, and in 2020, Broom died from COVID-19 complications at the age of 64 while awaiting another execution attempt. Similarly, in 2018, Alabama death row inmate Doyle Ham's execution failed as he suffered from lymphatic cancer and his swollen lymph nodes blocked access to his veins. Ham successfully sued the Alabama Department of Corrections and his sentence was commuted to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In 2021, Ham succumbed to non-Hodgkin lymphoma, dying in prison at the age of 64. As shown by the botched execution of Willie Francis, the electrocution is not a sustainable method of execution. However, the seemingly humane lethal injection is clearly not perfect either. And to many Americans, these failed executions might just demonstrate that the U.S. government should do away with the death penalty altogether. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. This one was certainly extremely interesting for me to research. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. 
Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.